It is, a, it is a great day in our house. Our tradition for Mother's Day and for Father's Day uh, means you get everything that you would like, no matter what. Amen. So that is... <laughs> uh, my wife bought me breakfast this morning. Uh, and then she asked me, what do you want to do? And I said, I don't know yet. We'll figure it out. So today, uh, who knows? Movies... Friends' house, barbecues, food, all of it. Uh, but we are starting a new series today. I'm really excited about this series. Uh, this series is called On Mission. And I just, I love this. We are spending the entire summer here. And I cannot talk about how thrilled I am about it. Uh, at our church, we have three core values that we talk about a lot. Community, discipleship, and creativity. Uh, but I always tell people there are four legs of our church that kind of keep us up. And the fourth leg is the mission of the church, not just our church, but the church. And that's what we're going to be talking about. We don't have a mission statement because Jesus gave us one. There's no reason for us to have something other than what he told us to do. And so over the next three months, we are just going to be living in that. And my prayer is that not only do we receive the heart that God has, but that we begin to go on mission with him as he's called us to do. Do you know that in Bay Ridge there are 70,000 people right here in this one zip code? In Sunset Park in the zip code right next to us, there are 120,000 people. It is insane. And when I look at that, you know, some people look around and they say, wow, there's a lot of churches in Bay Ridge. There's a lot of churches in Sunset Park. There's a lot of churches in Brooklyn. But when I look at my city, what I say to myself is, God, there are not enough churches. There are not enough churches to reach all of the people that are living as our neighbors here. And what I am convicted of, and what I have been convicted of, and what I pray that we become convicted of, is this. That, Father, there are 70,000 people within walking distance of this church. Help us reach them. Jesus, he walked into the temple in the very beginning of his ministry in Luke chapter 4. He just came out of his temptation, his testing. He walked out of the temptation with no sin. He was ready to proclaim his ministry. God had just come on him in his baptism before this temptation and said, Good job, my son, my good and faithful servant. The Holy Spirit had descended on him. It was amazing because he had done nothing at that point in his ministry. But here was God pleased with him. Now after his baptism, he goes into the wilderness for 40 days. He is tempted by the devil himself. And after that, he comes back from the wilderness and he walks into the synagogue and he gets up in front of a place that is very similar to this right now and he opens the scroll to Isaiah and he proclaims this the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed 
to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He says this, closes the scroll, he goes and he sits down, it gets quiet, and everybody just turns and looks at him. Today, Jesus says as he responds to their looks, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Have you ever wondered why Jesus came? What was his mission? What did he want to do? What was his purpose? Well, then look no farther than the very beginning of his ministry as he gets up and he proclaims at the very beginning of Luke why he came. To set the captives free. To set to liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to open the eyes of the blind, and to proclaim good news to the poor. As you continue to read Luke, what you begin to read is that Jesus does exactly this. We see people who are blind from birth begin to get healed. The poor come and listen, and they not only get fed physically, but Jesus feeds them spiritually. We begin to see the oppressed by demons come and shout and begin to interrupt his ministry, but he sets them free and casts the demons out and tells them to be oppressed no more. And the demons squeal and obey his power. It's an incredible time as the year of the Lord's favor has been proclaimed and has come. As he's doing this, though, the religious rulers begin to get mad. They begin to be upset. And we fast forward to Luke 15, which is where we're going to talk and land today. And we're going to be talking about God's heart because we have to, if we're really going to understand what the mission is, we first have to understand the heart of God. And What we want today is not only that, God, that we understand your heart, but I pray, God, that we receive your heart. In Luke 15, verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Jesus clearly proclaimed why he had come. He begins to do his work, and the Pharisees and scribes, religious rulers at the time, they get upset. The tax collectors and the sinners draw close to Jesus. And then Jesus says, nah, man, you guys are too dirty for me. I can't be with you. No, he doesn't say that. He says, can I go to your house? Can you have me over for dinner? Can I recline at the table with you? Can, let's have a conversation right now. Jesus is my guy. He loves to eat with people. Have you ever wondered about dinner parties that we have? They are biblical. Straight from the playbook of Jesus. But the Pharisees and the scribes, they get mad. Why is this man sitting with sinners? In their obsession with the law, in their obsession with trying to be righteous in themselves, they had forgotten about who God was and what his purpose has been ever since Adam and Eve have sinned. 
And so Jesus needs to remind them why is it that he's come. And not only remind them why he's come, but he reminds them what God's heart is. And so he gives them three parables, very famous parables, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the prodigal son. And in this, what is Jesus trying to do? Well, in our context, what he's trying to do is he's with a bunch of church folk that are mad at what he's doing. And so he begins to explain to the church people, this is everything that I'm about. This is exactly what I love. Don't be mad about it. Don't hate on me for it. Don't get upset about it. But join me in it. And so if Jesus was here in the church today, he'd be saying something very similar, I think. Maybe we get these parables in different forms. The lost subway metro card. Your monthly. You bought Bitcoin when you thought it was going through the roof and you lost half your savings. It may be a little different, but the stories would be the same. Because what I have found in the church as I have grown up in the church and have loved the church is that it's very easy, like any other organization, to start thinking only about yourself. And this is what the Pharisees and the scribes were doing. To think, man, I... Can't wait to come to church. I can't wait to experience so that I can be blessed, so that I can uh, show off my righteousness, so that I can have a place of power, so that somebody can notice what I do. And what happens is church begins to revolve around us. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they set up systems that revolved around them and shun the outcast, shun the sinner, shun the outside. So that if you are not part of their system then you were not able to be with them. And they had set up laws and rules around the system so that the people who were far from God were pushed to be even farther. The Pharisees thought those people don't deserve to sit with you, Jesus. Really, they didn't think they deserved the grace of God and the goodness of God. And so often we feel this way. Sunday is for us. It's for me. God is for me. For us. When I pray, it's for my needs and my time. I tell you, I get there all the time. And God needs to remind me. Justin, go read Luke 15. I want you to remember something. So Jesus reminds the Pharisees, he reminds the scribes why he came. And we're going to read two of the three parables today. The parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. So you can read with me in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 3 to verse 10. It says, so he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in open country? And go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. 
And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is more joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I want you to imagine something with me. And this is, this is going to be a big imagination for most of us. Imagine you have ten kids. I know. You know, at some point, this was, this was normal. There's still some, some big families. I know my, my dad's father, he was one of seven And they weren't even considered a big family back then. But imagine with me for a second. Ten kids. You know, it's, let's say it's, it's, it's Father's Day and you have your family and you call everybody to the table to celebrate with you. And everybody sits down. Nine of your kids sit down, but little Sally is missing. It's like, oh, Sally's not here. I wonder where Sally went. Uh, And so what do you do? You just eat dinner. You don't care. Sally will be here eventually. Two months go by, three months, four months go by. Sally never showed up and you start asking, hey, I wonder where Sally went. <laughs> I, I should probably be back. We should give it a few more months. <laughs> Who said Christian was funnier than me? Come on. No, I'm just messing around. <laughs> He is. I give it to him. He is. He is. I'm going to miss that laugh, Ariel. (laughs) And so you just think, ah, forget about it. She'll come. No, what do you do? As a parent, if you are a parent, you can imagine with me, if you aren't a parent, that this is probably what you do. You stop dinner. You go outside You call a babysitter, you leave your kids home, and you go searching for Sally. Nobody exists at that moment except for Sally. You call everybody you can. You call the neighbors, you call the police, you call everybody. I need to go find Sally, and you go looking for her. That is God's reaction to his people who have been lost. It does, you know, you think, there's so many people. It's easy to get lost in the shuffle. But with God, who knows the very hairs on your head, the Bible says, nobody gets lost in his shuffle. Every single one of his children, it hurts that they have been lost. So it makes sense that the shepherd goes and looks for that sheep. What's interesting about the parable of the woman is that one silver coin was the cost to buy one sheep. 
You know, this woman is a woman that did not have means. She lived in a little apartment, a, you could, a studio apartment, imagine, and her life savings is tucked under her bed, and she goes and she looks under her bed to count her life savings that she has been working up to for 20, 30 years, and one of 10% of her savings is gone. You ever lost something valuable in your house? What do you do? You turn that place upside down. I lost my wedding ring, believe it or not, in my office. And it's the craziest thing. It just disappeared on me. I dropped it. I was, I was working on my desk, on my computer, and I hear it cling, and I'm fin- I finish my email. I send it, and then I look down, and I'm like, where is this wedding ring? I turn the place upside down. I move every piece of furniture. I'm looking for it everywhere. I don't know. It disappeared. Satan stole it from me. (laughs) It's my excuse. But now I have to get a new one. But the point... When we lose something valuable, what happens? We go looking for it. This means something to me. I put value into this. This is my time, my sweat, my tears that I've worked for that created this thing, that bought this thing. Just the same, God looks at his children the same way. That when one person is lost, Scripture is full of imagery as God going and chasing and searching and looking for his people. And you know what he does once he finds his sheep? If I find Sally, what happens? You're so dumb for running away! You're getting a spanking right now. No. What do you do? You just cry tears of joy. You don't care about the thing the person did wrong. It's it's not a scolding. It's not condemnation. What's wrong with you, Sally? How could you run away? Did you know what you did to me? You know, maybe later I'll tell her that story. My fictional ninth girl child. (laughs) Messing with you, Heather, don't worry. (laughs) But at that moment, I celebrate. I take her. I, I wrap her in my arms. I hug her. I kiss her. And I bring her home. In verse five, in the parable of the lost sheep, it says, and when he has found it, The sheep, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Do you know that the average sheep weighs 70 pounds? My son Judah weighs 50 pounds, okay? I cannot imagine carrying him through the mountains and through pastures on my shoulders with an extra 20 pounds of him. He's a solid kid for a three-year-old. But what does the shepherd do? He... He doesn't scold the sheep when he finds it. He doesn't whip it and beat it. He takes the sheep, 70 pounds, puts it on his shoulders, and walks back. See, many times if we have walked away from God, we have this imagery of God that he's just waiting to get his hands on us so he can scold us for everything that we've done wrong. And many times, 
We have seen preaching of the gospel like that, and that's why we ever thought like that. If you, you know, I, I went to college at Baruch, and so that, that dude in Union Square that I just wanted to stuff a sock in his mouth every single day as I was going to school, preaching hellfire and brimstone every single day in the train station. You are going to hell. Jesus hates you for your sin. You have the black Israelites just calling everybody a devil that looks like me, that walks by, that God hates them. These are the voices that people hear. This is the, the voice in, in the media. You have the, the crazy Baptist people that talk about how much they hate the LGBTQ community and how much God wants to destroy them. This is the voice of the church that we have in our head. That God cannot wait to get his hands on us so that he can reprimand us, so that he can punish us, so that he can condemn us. And many people hate the church because of the portrayal that's been out there of them. And let me tell you, it has seeped into the actual church. Where when somebody asks questions about God, the first thing that we do to them is tell them everything that they're doing wrong and why their life stinks. But what does God do? He begins a plan of restoration. You were lost, and I found you. And I'm so excited, says that he rejoices when he finds the sheep. Then what does he do? It doesn't end there. It says that his rejoicing or the woman's rejoicing is not only internal, Rejoicing. There isn't just a flutter of happiness. Man, this is great. I'm so excited to find you. We're going to read verses 6 and verses 9 side by side. In both parables, what happens after the coin is found or the sheep is found. It says, and when he comes home, the shepherd, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. And when she has found it, the second parable, what does she do? She calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. When I find Sally and I go home, what am I doing? I'm calling up all the neighbors. I'm calling up the police. I don't care who the operator is. They're about to celebrate with me what has just happened. I call up my family. I call up my friends and I say, we're going to throw a party. Why? Because Sally was lost and now she is found. And that is what the shepherd does. And that is what the woman with the ten coins does. That when they find what they have lost, They rejoice internally, but then they invite other people. See, God not only loves dinner parties, but he loves to party. If you read scripture, so many things culminate in a celebration. We just went through Deuteronomy. And if you remember, it was part of the law system to throw parties. God said several times a year, you have to get together and throw an amazing party. Have all the food, have all the greatest drinks, get everybody together because it's celebration time. But what makes God truly party? 
every single time. That is when he finds one of his lost children and restores them. Jesus says in verse 7, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. That's wild. That is wild. Do you know that God is more excited about one person following him than all of us here leading righteous lives? Look around you for a second. There's a good amount of people here. One person that follows Jesus, that is found by him. What is God more excited about? That we have a good church service? That 99 people know how to worship and know how to listen to a sermon and know how to amen and know how to respond to a prayer call and know how to take notes? No, God is more excited when one person says, I will follow you, than when 99 people get together to worship his name in righteousness every single week. Come on, that should put some perspective on what it means. Because I can tell you, I get excited every week. I love it. I feel the joy of the Lord here. I feel the joy of the Holy Spirit over people worshiping his name and bowing down before him and saying, you are holy, 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 and, and repenting and being convicted. His presence is here. But imagine... This joy, this celebration that we are having every single week is nothing in comparison to how heaven rejoices every single time one person comes to know Jesus. Just one. I want to start celebrating with heaven. I want to start throwing parties with heaven. We know when they're throwing a party. When one person says, I will follow you, Jesus. When, when the Holy Spirit draws somebody to himself and they come to know him and know of his power and the good news that he has come to set them free of oppression, to open their eyes, to be their good news. When that happens, I've been praying, God, teach us to have a culture of celebration in our church. That, it, that a lot of times one extra person in our church is meaningless in the crowd. And, and that's what happens when we become an organization like Western culture has taught us to be instead of a church. Like the Bible teaches us to be. Where this is just one extra person in the seat so we can increase our numbers instead of one person that will celebrate in heaven with us on the last day when we are caught up into the new heavens and the new earth. That we celebrate with heaven, with the angels rejoicing in front of the throne over that one person that was lost and is now found. Church, I, I, I can tell you, I've been convicted. And what I have seen and what I have asked God is that during these next few months, that the sweet burden of God to share the gospel with people would come over our church. You know, I don't believe 
that our church is just supposed to be one congregation here in Bay Ridge. I believe that God wants to use what we're doing to start congregations all over New York City. And to some of you that may sound wild, but it doesn't sound wild to me because I believe if we are a church that is truly on mission with what God has called us to do, then we would be seeing the miraculous salvation of people come to know God. And it will be a movement that will grow. And that we will see this place, first and foremost, busting at the seams. And then from there, we'll be able to plant witnessing communities in different neighborhoods that are not being reached in a way and with a a time, like I said, there's 70,000 people just in Bay Ridge. There's Literally tens of thousands of people that I was just saying in our membership class this morning that the statistics are staggering. The urban area cities are growing at such a staggering, 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 staggering. There you go. I don't know where that word is. Staggering rates. Thank you, John. They are growing at such a staggering rate. And if you look at the charts, urban populations are growing like this. But church planting is growing like that. Which means church planting has not kept up with the urbanization in global cities all around the world. And we live in, come on, the greatest global city in the world. Whenever I hang out with my international friends, I always let them know, you know, I I live in the capital of the world. Fourth generation Brooklyn on both sides. You cannot argue with me. I am sorry. But the thing is, is that there is so much work to be done in our city. And my prayer and my hope is that we become part of that solution. But guess what? First, before we even get there, We have to understand God's deep love for the lost. We have to understand God's heart. Not only understand it, but we have to have it. And start realizing, God, you put these friendships in my life for a reason. You put me in this family for a reason. You put this job in my life for a reason. Or, God, I'm walking past this person for a reason. I'm... I'm praying. I already began to pray for some of my friends. God, I want them to come to know you. You know, I, I, I come every week and I enjoy God's presence. I enjoy him being alive and him being real and, and being present with us. And it's so easy to get caught up in this is, this is great for me to experience every week, but to forget That the gospel is the good news to those unto salvation. It is the power of salvation for them. My hope over this series over the next three months is not only that we understand God's heart, that we get a true grasp of the mission, but we feel equipped to go out and begin to be his witnesses unto all the earth. You know, a lot of people think that the Job of the pastor is to get people to follow Christ. 
That actually is wrong. It is the job of the pastor to equip people so that they can do the work of the ministry. And so my hope is that all of us feel equipped and understand what God has called us to do and the mission that we are supposed to be on. And that every time we see someone come to know him, that would be greater than any great service Sunday celebration that we had. That would be greater celebration than how many Bible studies we've done. It would be a greater celebration than how many people are reading scripture together. It would be the greatest celebration as a church that we have together. And that we would always think, Father, teach me to have your eyes to be on the search. That I would be like you, to walk away from the 99. It's easy to get settled in our friendships, in our groups, in our hangouts, in our, our Sunday friends, and forget about the lost, even the one that is among us here. And, and to be more concerned about who I get to talk to, to catch up with, rather than is there a lost person among us that God can use me to minister to and to speak to. Jesus' mission was clear. And the mission of the church is clear. Find the lost. Go through the work and bring them back. Then don't forget, throw a party. <laughs> because heaven is already celebrating. We might as well join them in the fun. I don't want our dinner parties to be just about us. I don't want our Bible studies to be just about us. I don't want our Sundays to be just about us. Because then we are just like the Pharisees and the scribes. And when the other comes amongst us, we start to get mad. You're encroaching on my territory. I don't feel comfortable with you around. Well, can I say amen to that? That our church and everything that we do, that we would remember why we do it, the mission that God has left us. But today we had to start with just understanding his heart. And we have to drill down on this. That he will leave the 99 to find that one. It is like the woman searching for that one coin that she has lost. She turns up the house upside down. And when she finds it, what does she do? She calls her neighbors, she calls her friends, and she throws a celebration for finding this. That is God's heart. And we can't make any mistake about it. As much as he joys in us having a good time, as much as he joys in our Sundays, as much as he joys in our community, in our discipleship, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who are righteous. I want to keep on saying that because I want it to settle into our hearts and into our minds. We can't only understand it up here. We must feel it right here. 
Because when we truly understand that, then we can go out of our way. We can go into our discomfort zone. We can take that 70-pound weight, which is what it feels like sometimes, to walk somebody back. And instead of complaining the entire time about the hardships people put us through and the hardships that we have to go through and witness and the discomforts of it, And the hospitality of it, instead of all of that, we can, like the shepherd with the 70 pounds on his shoulder, be rejoicing every step on the way back in order so that he can get home to a culmination of a great celebration with his neighbors and his friends and say, look what was lost that has now been found. Can you stand and pray with me? Father, I pray that you help us make decisions based on mission rather than being based on comfort. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come right now and that we would have your heart, that that line would ring in our head over and over again. There is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who are righteous. Remember, Lord, help us remember the number, 70,000 people just in this neighborhood, 4 million people in Brooklyn, another 3 million people in Queens, half a million people in Staten Island, pray, God, that the change that would happen today is that you would just change our prayer life. When we pray in the morning, when we pray, when we go home, even as we pray right now, that we would pray over the things that give you most joy rather than the things that we want. Father, I pray that you change our prayer life over the laundry list of things that I need and that I want. Lord, that that today that we change our prayer, give us a heart that you have. Lord, remind us of what you walked into the temple on day one of your ministry and proclaimed. That we would remember your mission. Where you boldly said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. And recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Let us worship.